For those that don't yet know him, Bo Burnham is a creative prodigy who first excelled on YouTube, garnering tens of millions of views on his musical comedy channel, then transitioning to stand-up comedy winning plaudits from seasoned peers such as the late, great Gary Shanley. Now, at the age of just 28, Burnham has written and directed his first movie, the absolutely superb Eight Graves. Bo talks to me about the film, why he chose a girl as his protagonist, and winning awards for his first foray behind the camera. He also touches on the toxicity of Twitter, why late night talk shows need Donald Trump, and more. My name is Mike Sheridan, and this is The Delve. You've got the, I think, the best acceptance speech I've ever seen. Certainly the best opening line. Oh, the, WG, the WGAs. Yeah, yeah. Who you really not expecting to win? Oh my God, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Because it was like, everyone was told me, it just felt impossible. It felt, because it's like, whatever, logistics, who cares? But it's like, I mean, I was like the only one not nominated for an Oscar out of all of them. That's what a joke was so And weird. they were yeah. all, and like the same people vote on both. So I was like, well, obviously I didn't. Somehow I snuck into the nominations here, but I'm obviously not going to win. And then there was some weird, I don't know what fucking happened. <laughs> it was a great, it's a great line though. So you basically said, good luck at the Oscars losers. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that's a lure joke. That joke works on many levels. And mm. like you see seasoned, you know, actors or whatever, comedians, performers on stage, directors who shit themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Moment. Well, it's very easy to be charming on stage in a room full of writers when just a bunch of writers are eating up and talking. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and you, you were kind of, you were part of the Oscar conversation as well, and that's because the Oscars aren't really what they were. I mean, and there's this whole kind of run-up to the Oscars, the whole run-up to award season, mm. and your movie was lauded pretty much from the start. Mm. How much attention did you pay to the reviews and stuff? Because it was, you know, you look it up and it's critically lauded, 98, 99% of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, unfortunately I did pay attention to it. I mean, I sort of had to. I mean, luckily it went well, so it was okay to pay attention to it. It probably doesn't set a good precedent going forward, but the film's so small, it's just like, you have to kind of micromanage it. I have to be aware of the conversation because I'm having to like promote it myself. I mean, A24 is doing a wonderful job in America doing that, but like, um, yeah, you just, you kind of have to, with a little, with a small independent film, you kind of have to be aware of what's being said because you're trying to track it and encourage it in the right direction, you know, um, but that's like, not healthy probably at all. So was there ever a conversation about maybe having you have a role, I know there really isn't one, but maybe having a role for you in it as well? No, um, no, So no, you can no. be more of an attraction, maybe for the funders or whatever? No, no one even gives a shit about me. I mean, no, truly no one cares about me. Like, I wouldn't sell any tickets and, um, even when they put my name up there, I was like, that's not gonna be relevant <laughs> to anybody. Um, but I mean, it obviously has helped. Like, 100%, the movie's done so well. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the movie's done well yeah. on the back of my name, but yeah. Um, I think the movie's done well in spite of my name, truly. Um, but yeah, I, uh, no, I had no interest in that. I, I had already sort of made, I, I was so tired of myself and my face. I was lo so <laughs> looking forward to making something that didn't have my face in it. Really, like, because I couldn't watch any of the stuff I made and enjoy it because I saw myself and I, you know, that's not, you can't, you know, it's just complicated to watch yourself. So I was really looking forward to making something without 
without um, me. Are you looking forward, obviously, to the directing elements to it too, and how to direct actors? Because you're dealing with a somewhat inexperienced cast as well. Mm. Um, was that difficult to kind of get a grasp on at first, or did you know going in, okay, this is how I'm going to approach this? You'd, you'd, you'd done your research with your casting and stuff. Well, that, that, was the, that was actually just my attraction to directing, period, was working with actors. You know, I felt like I was, I fell in love with theater when I was young. I loved to act, and I, I, there was a certain type of style of performance that I felt like I wasn't seeing in movies, and I wanted to see, and I wanted to get, and I felt like I could get. So I felt like it was the technical aspects of filmmaking that I was like, I don't know any of this shit. I'm gonna try to like. <laughs> I have a crew for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna read. You know, I tried, tried. You know, I had eight months to prepare, and I read a book a week, and you know, watched three movies a day, and just tried to really prepare myself for that. But I felt conf pretty confident in, in directing the actors. Not confident, but excited. Yeah. Which is more important, probably. Like excited to work with the actors, because I just remember, and especially the young actors. I mean, I remember being that age and being an actor doing theater, just you know, local theater. And I remember how hungry I was at that age to participate in the artistic process and to take ownership over it. And that, that's what I was looking forward to doing with the kids, giving them ownership over this thing. I think that's how kids are often failed in movies. They're, they're, they're seen as just pawns to be moved for the vision of the director or whatever. And I really wanted these kids to have ownership over the thing and to, and to you know, feel empowered to express themselves and you know, be a part of, of the process. Was, where did it start? Did it start with Elsie and Josh's relationship, their character's relationship in it? Because it's a beautiful part of the movie. Just that kind of back and forth where, you know, Josh is just constantly mm. just trying to mm. reassure because he, he knows that's what he should be doing and yeah. she'll come around eventually. Is that, is that where the idea started with you? Did it start as this kid and maybe your family or this kid being a YouTuber? And, it started and with her vlogging, yeah. yeah. It really did start with vlogs. Like just watching vlogs of young people online, mostly girls, talking about their life and feeling like very just fascinated by it. Just just the way these young people express themselves online and it was just incredibly complex and it was more complex than any sort of voiceover I had seen. Or there are a lot of movies and things where kids talk to a webcam and it's nowhere near as complex as the way kids actually talk to their webcam, which is, you know, you see them trying to present themselves and you see them sort of synthesizing their influences, which is you know every celebrity they've ever heard of and other YouTubers they're fans of, and you see them failing to be some sort of cultural standard, and you see them, it's just, it's just incredibly complex and interesting, and I watched these videos and I thought, if this were performance in a movie, it would be incredible, because what I'm seeing is so complex and strange, and, and just mesmerizing and deep and shallow and public and private and, uh, hyper-focused and all over the place. Um, so that, that was the in. And then the idea was like, okay, well... Because when you watch these videos, their, their whole life is implied through it. When you see a video of a 7th, you know, 8th grade girl with a title like, How to Be Cool or How to Make Friends. And she's talking about making friends. And, and you, you can see in all the negative space of what she's saying what her life must be outside of this thing. She's being like, well, you know, if you're trying to make friends with one person, like the thing you definitely shouldn't do is like talk about them behind their back. Cause like if you do that and you're like, oh okay, so someone clearly did this like a week ago to her and she's now like processing it and showing it as like some like, she, as if she's like Moses coming down from the, you know, with the towel. I, I haven't read the Bible recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, I was just fascinated by it. I was, it was just fascinated by the way these kids were presenting themselves online. Performing their truth, performing their private moments. 
performing. Um, and I just felt like that is, uh, I looked at these kids and I was like, this is what it means to be alive right now. And it's a nice to see the reaction that kids are having. I saw you on LT watch uh, a video oh of God. the kids. Yeah, no, yellow t-shirt kid, right? He, he, he kind of turned around on it from the start. But he the was... meta mess of that, it's <laughs> us, it's a video of us reacting to a video of those kids reacting to our movie that's about the internet. It's like, you know what I mean? You, you, you get, you get met, it's, it's just too deep. The rabbit hole's too deep at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and now we're talking about it on, <laughs> it's, it's wild, it's too much. You've said the filmmaking community have been really welcoming to you. Um, I was watching the uh, Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, and it's like you're so sorry. <laughs> I love that show. I love those. I think they're great. <laughs> but you've got like John Krasinski there, obviously. But you've got Eric Roth and Paul Schrader, mm -hmm. who are these like, you know, legends of basically of filmmaking. Have been doing it for a very long time, amongst others as well. And I was kind of like, that must have been intimidating for anybody. Somebody like Krasinski's been in the business for a long time. Mm. And then one of the crew actually even sent me on a video of the green room. Um, the, the, all the comedians would sit around and comedians oh, would yeah, shoot yeah, the shit. Yeah, yeah. And to, to kind of see Gary Shandling kind of compliment your stand-up. Were you 20 at the time, 21? Mm, yeah, 19. Like, the, the, all of these guys had so much respect for you sitting there. Um, was it then easier to kind of move into a difference? Was there a confidence involved then with moving up into the film world and, and dealing with all these other personalities? Because there's tears in Hollywood sometimes, right? Yeah, well, it's also it's easy to be the young person in the room in a certain way because you're just young and, you know, like... Sometimes, you know what I mean, when you're, when you're younger, you can just, you know, you know, smile and, and, and play cute or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. What's the answer? He wonders. What would you say? <laughs> you're sitting around with the comedians. Yeah. And uh, the comedians obviously accepted you super well. I don't know how quickly they accepted you. I know you were saying, oh, well, I was kind of younger and maybe there's an element of lowered expectations when yeah. you're younger. But Gary Shandling doesn't strike me as a type who would have passed around. Uh, compliments to other comics super no, easy. You know, he would have, but uh, and Gary and good. I had like if a little... Good. Yeah, yeah, and Gary and I had like a little relationship post that and, and you know, the thing you find is, you know, this, you, you know, it's like people are just accessible, accessible, you know what I mean? It's like you get in the room with people and then this sort of like big sort of proper noun version of them that's very intimidating or scary to you, you realize, oh, you're just like a person that's vulnerable like me and scared like me and, and, uh, I mean, the people you're kind of talking about are kind, open people. You know, all the people you mentioned are very kind, humble people. So I think that's why they did that. There are people less talented than all of those people that made me feel way more intimidated because of the way they carry themselves. Um, but people like Gary Shandling and... Ray Romano sitting next Ray to you. And Ray and Ray, but Krasinski yeah. and, and Schrader and... And Eric Roth, just very kind, open people, you know. And, and you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to be around those people and, you know, have tried as I've gotten older to pay, pay that sort of humility forward or, or, just, or just internalize it for my own sake. Is there an element as well of kind of breaking the rules a little bit? Because you're not supposed to be that good at that many things. No, I mean, <laughs> truly no. I mean, that's because like... Because you do stand-up and you do, you know, acting, and now it's this movie, which is an incredible movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a great actor, but... Um, like, <laughs> I, I, I... No, definitely not. Because, like, I was... When I was young and, like, a dick, I definitely wanted to do that. I wanted to, like, I want to do everything. I want to... But, like, that's so lame, and, like... And just, just to... I never want to do stuff for the sake of doing it or do stuff for the sake of proving how good I am at things or look at all these different things I can do, you know? 
my hope and with the movie, you know, and this is ironic, and there's my fucking name on it, and here I am talking about it, but like the hope is to just like disappear into the work and hopefully just all people see is the work. And also like this movie was not made by me solely at all. You know, it was made by a crew of people and really first and foremost by Elsie who sort of imbued the movie with all the meaning that I can, you know, now pretend to take ownership over. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to get... You know, just try to get better at things and try to continue and, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, definitely not, I'm not, yeah, I don't know. And what about, um, I know you get asked that a lot, but what about the stand-up? Would you go back to the stand-up? Yeah, you, I'd love been, to do it again, Because yeah. you've been self-evasing about the stand-up, saying people are calling me a comedian for 13-year-olds, it's obviously not the case. No, but I mean that as a good thing, yeah. you know what I mean, like, I... It's not that narrow of a fan group, you the know. The 13-year-olds, yeah, yeah, totally, but like the 13-year-old girls, I'm saying when people would say, people would say you're a comedian for 13-year-old girls as an insult, you know, and I was like, the 13-year-old girls, like, get my comedy way more than you do. Like, that's how I felt. I mean, I felt like the ideas that I, like, I feel like my comedy is, the, the shit I'm talking about sailing over your head and the 13-year-old girls are getting it. So I, I just don't think it's an insult to, I don't know, I just think, like, that's more just uh, trying to stick up for them, but. Um, yeah, I'd love to do it again. I mean, it's a very fun time to think about doing comedy because it feels impossible and nobody wants it. <laughs> so it's like, that's, that feels fun, but uh, yeah. So some, something I found uh, really fascinating listening to you talk was talking about killing in like a, you know, a, a sold out theater with thousands of people and having this anxiety and not feeling right mm. or not feeling yourself mm. when, you know, people are like pissing themselves laughing in front of you. Mm. Um, how, how difficult was that to deal with going on stage? And was it then the case? And was, you know, a lot of the musical aspects of the comedy as well. It's kind of like one, two. It's, mm -hmm. Was it a case of hitting the beats? Yeah, and it wasn't very constant. I mean, it wasn't constant. It was attacks. You know, there were 12 or so attacks. And the first one was in Edinburgh on stage where it was just, it's just a panic attack, like a straight up panic attack, not dissimilar from, you know, a panic attack that anyone else would have, you know, tunnel vision, shortness of breath, all that stuff. It was just on stage in the middle of a show. And what's very strange is that it's within a show, like you said, that's very written and very rigid, so I'm sort of like panicking, but also having to like stay in the sort of beat-to-beat -beat prison that I've sort of constructed for myself, so. Yeah, it was very strange. Um, yeah, it was very, very strange. Uh, but it sort of led to the eventual sort of, the one real epiphany I had in my entire life, which was when I started to talk about my anxiety on stage, I realized that sort of um, my anxiety that I thought was very specific to my experience, which was at the time being a 24-year-old you know, male comedian with an audience, was actually connecting to 13-year-old girls and people of a younger generation who were saying, I was saying, I feel very stressed because I feel like I'm on stage panicking in front of you know, thousands of people who are looking at me and have this idea of myself and I feel like I'm trapped within a performance and am freaking out because of it. And 13-year-olds were going, yeah, yeah, that's like, I feel like that every day. And I go, what are you talking about? Um, and I realized that, yeah, that, that the sort of stresses of a C-list comedian were democratizing, given to an entire generation. And that my stage fright um, is common. And, it is, and, and, and performance anxiety is, is held by not just performers, you know. And that, like, social media has made life a performance and has made... And that was the big, that was the big sort of moment that, that I went like, oh, right, like, that's, that's, that's my angle. That's, uh, that my, 
my performing on stage and my meta comedy or whatever that I thought was like super postmodern or like self-referential and pretentious is actually observational. It's actually, there's a way to talk about this stuff that's actually relatable to people. And it's like, um, that this meta heady stuff is actually like true at a ground level for, for people. And that was very, that, that, that was sort of a, and eventually that, oh, my, uh, uh, me having a panic attack backstage and, you know, in a, in, at the Vicar Street Theater is no different than a 13-year-old girl having a panic attack um, in a bathroom before going to a pool party, you know? She's walking out into a stage. She's performing. She, she sees her life just like I do, you know? So that was, uh, yeah. So people wouldn't think that was related, but, it, like, it obviously is. It's a, you know, anxiety is a broad thing. Yeah, and, and performance is a broad thing. Performing performing, and that's, that's recent. I think that is the internet and social media. I mean, it's not that recent. Shakespeare, all the world's a stage. You know what I mean, some, some of that was figured out, but like. Colin Quinn's got a great line. I went to see him in New York a couple of years ago. He's a great comedian. But he's got a great line where he's like, he's talking about social media. And he's like, everybody's got an opinion and nobody has a solution. Mm. And I always thought that was, it was particularly for Twitter. Because it just seems to me, and I know you're not a fan of Twitter, or, and um, when you were tweeting, like, this just makes me hate everybody and myself so much. Mm. Um, and I'm not I'd, a fan of Twitter. Yeah, I'd, I'd feel quite similar as well. There is a toxicity there as well, with, with Twitter specifically. Twitter's Maybe it's really because bad. it's so opinion based, it's, it's mostly just text, whereas Instagram is. Yeah, 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 exactly. Instagram, like, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, we don't have it, but there's like a benign version of Instagram you can see, which is just like all of us posting our dogs and stuff. Like, you could picture there's like an okay version of that. I don't think there's an okay version of Twitter uh, ever. You know, what, what's so odd, well, not obvious, but like, the, the, the issue with Twitter and all that stuff, which just like fucking kills me and like makes me so angry, is like, we can't have the conversation that needs to be had because the only place to have the actual honest conversation is on Twitter. And Twitter is a vested interest in not having a conversation that's critical about itself, obviously, for obvious reasons. And the thing is, like, it seems pretty obvious is that, like, and we kind of know this, is that, like, all Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that shit, but if we just stay on Twitter, all they want is engagement. That's all they want. They don't care about quality of conversation. They don't care about anything. They want engagement. They want you on it as much as possible. They want you tweeting as much as possible. So what, what kind of world do they want? Do they want a copacetic, cool world where we're all getting along and we're polite? No, no. They want the world on fucking fire. They want Trump in office. Twitter, of course, wants Trump in office. If Trump, the moment Trump leaves, we tweet less. No one, no one is, like, we've never tweeted more than when the world was on the brink of fucking destruction and there's things to fight about and there's things to argue about. Twitter wants conflict. Sort of these fucking late night comedy shows, even if they're liberal or whatever they are. All, they, they, it's a whole world built on commentary. So what is commentary? Even satire, that's what's ah, that's so stupid about these things. They, these satirical news programs or, that, that, that act like they're against the current administration or whatever is happening in the world. It's like satire requires shit to be satirizable. So it wants a shitty world. It doesn't want things to get fixed. It doesn't want things to be good. It's like, it's, it's just disgusting. That's, that's a media thing, I think, as well as a social media thing, because particularly with Trump, who is, you know, the elephant in any room and any interview nowadays where it, the stuff mm. he's saying is so crazy, it's constantly covered. 
and that's one of the reasons why he was elected as well. But I think I don't think Twitter were doing that great as a social media platform comparative to the others in terms of growing until Trump won or until Trump started tweeting crazy mm. shit. And now people think they're going to tweet him out of office. All of there's. Trump's opposition is on Twitter just as much as him. They, they think the solution to him is better tweets as opposed to like, no, no, no. It's like, it's fucking stupid. I mean, it's, it's so stupid. We're literally trying to solve giant geopolitical issues by passing fortune cookies to one another. It's so bold-facedly stupid. I, I, I can't even think about it. I, I actually, I, I, it's so, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's like it. every politician is tweeting shit it's really crazy, man. It's crazy. We I mean, thought like, the, like there's so many versions of it. Where, like people thought like headlines were the death of newspaper and the death of news coverage because we would reduce shit to a headline in no articles. Now it's just all that. It's like and like they're memeing. Like politicians are memeing, which makes me want to fucking put a <laughs> bullet in my head. Like truly, when they're like walking into parliament, like and then like a gift from like RuPaul's Drag Race. Like fucking shoot me in the head. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! It's I think, so over. It's a, I think it's, it's a, so over. I think it's a fundamental lack of nuance. Lucas, and, uh, and I'll let you go now in a minute. I know you got you've got more interviews to do, but it's this fundamental lack of nuance, and Twitter just seems to be the worst place for that. Yeah, long form discussion is absolutely impossible. Is a, but there's been kind of a flip, I think, to another side of that, where all these big podcasts, where people are having real conversations, have kind of started to take off and. You know, clickbait's kind of gone away a little bit. There's almost a 180 to it. Mm, yeah, it's I don't know if clickbait's gone away a little bit. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I wonder about the podcast stuff. Because I think that's right to a degree. But I also think, like, if, if the podcast were just, like, hours of silence that people were listening to, I think that was a little bit better. <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's like, it's... Part of me feels like, and this is the most ironic thing to say over and over again in interviews, we need less commentary. We need less, less takes, less people talking about fucking everything all of the time. That's what makes me insane. And that's what's crazy for people on Twitter. I'm looking at everyone else in the room. <laughs> like, you guys probably have adult friends. Maybe you guys are this. And if you are this, like, God bless you. I actually don't care about you. It's like it's just like the culture that around that, like... I have like adult friends that are on, that everyone on Twitter tweets about everything every day. Every single day. Stream of consciousness. But everything. Yeah. You know, like something happens, some like bullshit stupid story happens and everyone talks about it. And then everyone talks about the next thing. Everyone's talking about everything all of the time. And it's absolutely insane. And a huge problem is we look to fucking idiots like me. Stupid celebrities that should just be making movies or just be doing comedy to comment on things. And we're looking to like when we should be deferring to experts and teachers and judges and fucking doctors, and, but you know they're not as good. They're not as uh, brand savvy as me. So yeah. I'll, 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 you know, it's crazy. You're using yourself as an example there, but I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit either. I'm giving myself plenty. Well, you made, of, well, I get plenty of credit. Well, Don't made, worry about me. Well, I'm, you, not a, I'm not a credit-starved person in this world. I can <laughs> promise you that. Well, you've made a great movie and you've, you've done some great comedy and stuff over the years as well. And I think, you know, not just myself. Um, I'm not a 13-year-old girl. Far from it. Hairy 37-year-old Irishman. Um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you do next, Bosa. Thank you so much for your time. Hey. I appreciate it.